broadcasting live from the R&R studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy, presented by Tequila Embajador. When you when you go through this process, um, I w- like I said, I was very impressed with how exhaustive they were um, just in their evaluation um, of me um, and my fit and how I would fit into their vision. Um, and then you come out and you spend time with them, you meet the people, uh, you see that everything's done in a first-class manner. Um, their commitment to winning is easy to feel, to see. Um, and to me, walking through this building and having a sense of the history and tradition of this organization and how much that impacts um, you know, the day-to-day here, um, it really hit me. Um, this is one of those iconic places, and it's a historic organization um, that has unbelievable history and tradition, um, you know, and it's in every hallway. And so I just, you know, getting to know them, feeling their commitment, and understanding that that, that really married up with what my vision uh, would be for another opportunity, uh, it was easy to make the choice. Was. New Raiders head coach Josh McDaniels speaking yesterday at the Raiders headquarters in Henderson. Um, I had asked him, hey, what is it about the Raiders? This is a guy that's been pretty darn selective uh, in terms of what he was going to leave a great job with the Patriots for. Um, He's a coach that's been highly coveted. I know of at least three teams that I was told um, this year in this hiring cycle, you know, reached out. kind of they call it back channeling to gauge his interest and in seeing if he'd be interested in in being a head coach uh, with them or at least a candidate with them and politely uh, declined but the Raiders came calling and I wanted to know why 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 the Raiders um, you know what was it about this organization this situation that gave you um, hey hmm now that's something I would leave what I have here for in New England to go coach the Raiders, and it sounded genuine. Um, just listening to Josh McDaniels. By the way, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor and Lincoln Kent, or not Lincoln Kennedy. Sorry about that. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Brought to you by Tequila in Bajado Radio Nation Radio, 9:20 a.m. on a Tuesday, the day after the announcement, the official announcement, and the introductions of Dave, Z- Dave Ziegler, the Raiders' new uh, general manager, and Josh McDaniels, the new head coach. Kind of a tandem, both coming from New England, a winning uh, situation, obviously, in, in New England with the Patriots, to sort of bring that, whatever that magic is that's working in New England and has worked in New England, here to Las Vegas um, with the Raiders. And as Mark Davis, the Raiders' owner, owner uh, spoke about yesterday, you know, this isn't a rebuild. The Raiders, a lot of the heavy lifting in that regard has already happened. And, you know, you got to give Mike Mayock and John Gruden uh, credit for that. The team that John Gruden inherited back in, what, 2018, I told the story many, 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 many times, uh, going up to Oakland to uh, practice against the Raiders. I was covering the Rams at the time. And, you know, talking to some of my Rams people, players and coaches and, you know, executives, and it was like, wow, um, it's going to be a hard job for John Gruden because there just wasn't enough talent. Uh, It it just wasn't um, 
you know, there are too many holes across the board. And John Gruden and Mike Mayock, to their credit, uh, were able to fill a lot of those holes. There were some big swings and misses. We all get it. Um, there was struggles in free agency, in the trade market early on. Um, obviously, the draft, especially at the top of the draft, uh, did not go well. Uh, they were able to kind of redeem themselves with some later picks and in uh, undrafted free agency. This year's or the 2021 free agent group, I thought was you know probably the best that they not not probably the best that they've had or had uh, in their time together. But you know, and that helped them get to another level. But it's not quite there yet. And I think with the situation that happened with John Gruden and the opportunity it created for. Mark Davis to reset things at the top of the football pecking order and decision-making to see if he can get this thing to the next level, which they feel they're close to. Uh, That was the impetus in reaching out to New England uh, to try to pry Dave Ziegler away as the general manager and Josh McDaniels uh, as the head coach. And from their perspective, talking to them yesterday, they see the same thing that probably Mark Davis sees and and a lot of people in Las Vegas uh, sees when they look at the Raiders, which is... Not far away. And we'll see now. Uh, The proof will be in the pudding, as we uh, continually talked about yesterday. They're going to be judged over the next four or five years um, on what they, where they take this from here. And we'll all know in a couple of years and in in a few years whether it worked, whether it was the right decision, um, or whether it wasn't. But I think, and I mentioned this yesterday, I feel like Mark Davis and the Raiders have put themselves in a really good position with these two uh, men uh, in charge. And I think there's going to be some others uh, as the days and weeks go on that get added to this decision-making process to make this a complete kind of collective, collaborative uh, effort. And a lot of the best teams out there, that's how they do it. Yeah, there's somebody with the final say. That's going to be Dave Ziegler. But usually in any organization that's good that's great they the, the the final decision becomes a collaborative effort it gets pushed to a final decision and it's not like somebody sits there and says i'm not going to listen to any of you guys or women i'm not going to listen to any of you i'm making the decision that i want to make that very rarely happens it's usually through discussion argument analysis um you know uh, due diligence process all of that that leads to an ultimate decision, especially on those big decisions. And while Dave Ziegler will be the one that pushes that button, that decision button, it will have already happened before he verbalized it or pulled the trigger on it. It'll be a collective uh, effort that gets the Raiders to those types of decisions. And I think that's the best way to go. Yeah, there's going to be arguments. Yes, there's going to be disagreements. But you talk it out and you reason and you do it with um, respect for one another. Um, There might be some yelling. There might be some shouting. That's all good. It's all healthy. Some of the best stories that I've ever written in my entire life, talking about what I do, had they were knocked down, drag out fights with my editors, like where you didn't talk for a day or two. Um, because, you know, things were said or, or whatever, disagreements happen. But at the end of the day, if the, if the final version, whether it's a story, a roster, a decision, a draft, if the final version is the best possible version that's been created by a bunch of smart, um, team-oriented people working together with the common goal of making something great, Whatever happened prior to that or however it got to that 
was well worth it. And there will be arguments and there will be disagreements. There'll be a lot of times where it's everybody's on the same page. But as long as the best possible decision is made each and every time, that's the goal. It doesn't mean every decision is going to work out. We all get that. But as long as you're working toward that goal and everybody is kind of pulling in that same direction, then you're going to give yourself a chance to make the right decision more often than not. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation listener line. Raider Lou is on the line. How you doing, Raider Lou? I'm doing good, man. I saw you in the uh, press conference, and we appreciate you coming back and telling us um, a couple of things real quick. Uh, first thing, and I enjoyed your show. Thank you. It's been great to listen to you every day. Hey, the first thing I want to say is that uh, regarding the John Gruden and Mike Mayock, we, we, we appreciate everything they've done. But one thing, that, and I disagree with you was, or whoever told you this, is that they did not. They had a team that was twelve and four, and the team was six or uh, six or something. But we had pieces in there. All they had to do is add, and that's the thing that scared me with 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 um with this new coach and and GM. We we do not want to dismantle the team. We just need to add pieces. Gruden got rid of Khalil Mack. Uh, Mark Cooper and there, we just needed to add some pieces, and they destroyed that. I, you but know, it, I, I, yeah, I, I'm not to try to cut you off here, but that's not the way. Um, and and I'm not talking about from the Raiders' perspective. I, I wasn't no, covering I'm the Raiders. I'm, 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 but but real quick, just talking to people that I know in the NFL. Yeah, they had two really good players, and there's no doubt that Amari Cooper and Khalil Mack, Khalil Mack specifically, were great players. But they didn't have much around them. If anything, it wasn't going to be sustainable to pay those two players a whole bunch of money and then try to build them around them. This wasn't like, for instance, that same year that Khalil Mack was um, his contract was coming up. Aaron Donald's contract was coming up down in Los Angeles, all right? They were drafted the same year. The Rams were intent on keeping Aaron Donald because they had a, a Super Bowl roster around him. That team went to the Super Bowl, and now it's gone to two Super Bowls. They were where they needed to be pretty much everywhere else so that spending money, that kind of money that it was going to require to keep him, which is just a nudge below Khalil Mack, made sense because they had all the everything else was covered. The Raiders but, but the had Bengals, all sorts but, of holes. The Bengals, though, the Bengals got a bunch of holes and they went to the Super Bowl. See, we get caught up mm. with the star stuff. The Bengals, you tell me the Bengals, you can't tell me you can't you can't tell me the Bengals don't have a bunch of holes and they're in the Super Bowl. I don't know. I look at Joe Mixon. I look at uh, uh, Jamar yeah, Chase. I look. They, they, they listen. They went we from had a great offensive line too. Go Go look at the offensive line. We had a great offensive line. We had. A nice who were the weapons? Guy. I mean, who were the who were the offensive weapons? Give me the running backs and the wide receivers. Okay, the wide receivers. You, you had Amari Cooper, and you had um, what's the name that came over from San Francisco? The um, yeah, it's say trust me, Crabtree. Yeah, Crabtree. Crabtree was good. It, th- this was, was good. he was he how he wasn't he kind of getting up there in age? No, Did he even no, play no, that no, much no, after the? Playing. Huh? He yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I look he at the, I look playing. at the Cincinnati. His last season, his last season with the Raiders, he had fifty-eight catches, oh, and then he oh, went oh. on to Baltimore. Oh, but it's, yeah, but it's I'm just saying that you, that's not the. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, but I, it's it's a it's a completely different. It's it's those are two different teams, and the and the wide receivers and and skill players that the Bengals have, to me, they're arguably the best group, the best crew in the NFL. When you put Burrow, Mixon, 
Um, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Devon, what's the other wide receiver that I'm missing? Um, uh, anyway, it's as good as it Tyler is. Boyd. Yeah, that's as good a crew as there is in the NFL. And they also went out and made, I thought the Raiders should have uh, should have gone after, uh, was it Hendrickson? The, the pass rusher, but they ended up getting, you know, unique in Gawkway, so that was a good move for them. But that's it, those are two different teams. They're two different teams, especially two different offenses right now. Uh, the Bengals are legit elite offensively, especially with the quarterback that they have. Whereas in 2018, the Raiders, I mean, their defense was like bad, bad. And they, aside from Amari Cooper, there wasn't anybody that anybody was really, you know, I, I saw that team. And, I, and I'm just telling you from other teams' perspectives, it was like, nah, that's not the time that you pay those type of players. Now, I'll say this. The Raiders completely wasted the capital that they got back in, in terms of uh, uh, trading those two players. That was going to be the key. What did you do with the uh, assets that you got in return? And instead of hitting a home run, you know they hit a. They may have hit a, a double with Josh Jacobs, um, a hard single with Jonathan Abram. Obviously, Clee Farrell was. It just hasn't worked out, and so they're. You know they didn't maximize, and we all know what happened in 2020 uh, in that draft. So they didn't maximize the 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 assets. But if you look at that roster in 2018, there were just way too many holes, and that was the decision that they. But this is a different situation. You're not going to see, a, but you know, uh, star players on this team. You're not going to see Max Crosby get traded. They're going to pay Max Crosby. You're not going to see Unique Ngakwe get traded, or um, you know, uh, some of the Hunter Renfro whose whose contract is coming up. Now is the time to sign those types of players uh, and not get rid of them for for draft capital. That's where they were in 2018. It's not where they are in 2021. Back out to the Raider Nation listener line. Mike is in Denver. How you doing, Mike? Hey, Vinny, what's going on? I'm good. I kind of want, wanted to uh, digress from the whole uh, McDaniels hiring, whatever, you know, that stuff will let it play out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted your thoughts on the uh, Brian Flores lawsuit. I don't know if you've had time to read some of the details of right. what's coming out of it, but uh, man, it's it's pretty it's pretty harsh on the NFL, which we all you know we, we all kind of knew the hiring practices and stuff. I do HR, so when you see this stuff come up, it's like you know red lights go off everywhere. But what were your thoughts on the whole situation, especially I don't know if you read the piece that Stephen Ross wanted uh, Flores to tank and offered him to pay a hundred ridiculous. For That's just yeah, no yeah. owner should be. That's yeah. uh, you know, and and it it, it will come down to. Um, you know, like we've already seen the Denver Broncos come out vehemently and said, no, mm-hmm. there was a great mm-hmm. interview that was done. So we'll see. It's good. Part of this is going to be a who has the goods, who has the evidence of, you know, that happening or, um, you know, or what Brian Flor- what Brian Flores said happened or what the New England Patriots or excuse me, the mm-hmm. uh, Denver Broncos said uh, what happened. But I will say this. Um, I think it's it's. <sighs> You know, when we talk, I, 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 I put out the question and answer that I did with Troy Vincent uh, and, and uh, Jonathan Bean from the NFL, who are, you know, mm-hmm. it's their job, basically, as NFL executives to try to get, um, you know, a, 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 an even and more fair uh, um, playing ground for hiring, more diversity, um, you know, uh, and, and it's a noble, noble effort. And it's, it's just, here's, the, here's where I come, come down, all right? I hate that we have to have a Rooney rule. I, I, I despise it. I hate that it has to be that, okay? But 
um, I feel wise enough and smart enough and understanding enough to understand without it, I'm not so sure that I can trust the goodness of people to just do the right thing and not have preconceived notions and biases and, and, and ideas. So what I'm saying is, unfortunately, because I can't trust everybody to do the right thing, we need some sort of a rule. We need something that widens the playing field and allows minority candidates to get fair shakes in terms of interviews. There's good and bad that comes with that because the bad is that there's some teams that are just going to take it or not take advantage, but pay it lip service, do what they have to do yep. by, by the letter of the law, but not necessarily heed it. Okay. And we all understand that that's going to happen, unfortunately, but also out of that, there also can be some good where um, candidates who have proven that they're worthy of these jobs and these recognition get the interviews um, that they may not have gotten before. And as a result of those interviews, get jobs that they weren't necessarily considered for. And wrongly so, I should I, I, I want to add. There are highly qualified minority candidates as we speak for every job in the NFL, head coach, whatever you want to talk about, all right? And not enough of them are getting a fair shake in terms of being interviewed and being considered. At the very least, this forces teams to have to you know, um, uh, interview X amount of minority uh, candidates for certain jobs. It's not perfect. And there are people that are going to pay it lip service. And I hate it that we even have to have a rule like that. Hate it. But you look through our history, this country, and we, and sometimes you have to legislate these types of things to make it a fair playing ground. We just do. Devon, did you want to say something? Oh, okay. So it's a double, and this is what um, Jonathan Bean told me. It's a blessing and a curse. The curse is you're going to have situations like this, unfortunately, because we can't trust everybody to do the right thing. But on the flip side, we're also going to have success stories that come out of this. And I'd rather have the success stories that come with this and keep pushing this further and pushing this further and pushing this further to the point where we don't have to have these types of rules because more good people are going to do the right thing more often. I don't know when that time is going to be. I wish it was yesterday, to be honest with you. I wish it was 10 years ago. But it hasn't. It's not. And we're not there yet. As we are seeing with, you know, uh, with what Brian Flores um, and, and what he's bringing to the table. Now, it's going to ultimately come down to who's telling the truth here. Um, I, I think the taking the race out of it, that that part of it out of it, which is obviously a big thing. But if, if what Ross, if what if what Brian Flores is alleging happened with the New England or the, the Miami Dolphins and that owner, that's horrible. That's that's like. You have to be kidding me that an owner would literally think about offering his head coach a bonus to lose games. That's like out of the movies. You know what I'm saying? Like there's been movies written about that. And if Brian Flores is telling the truth and being accurate about what happened with the Denver Broncos interview, if that really happened the way he said it happened, and I'm not saying that it did. I've been around too long to just – automatically take one person's side of a story but we have to let it play out 
And if he is, if if what he alleges happened with the Denver Broncos and John Elway, then that's just, it's nonsense. It's complete and utter nonsense. We're going to go back out to the Raider Nation listener line. Passionate Raider is on the line. How you doing, Passionate Raider? All right, Vinny, what's happening, man? Um, you know, I, I just I, I called them for a whole different purpose, but I just wanted to just kind of piggyback off of what old, the first caller was saying, though. You know, back when, when, when Mac did and, and Derek did get extended, I mean, I think they picked the wrong guy, man, and I think it might have rubbed Mac. I, I mean, he was an all-pro at two spots, but, you know, that's for another day. It's done and over with. Yeah, he was going to get know, his my, money. He was going to get his yeah, money. Yeah, my, my, my biggest thing is, but he might have seen something a lot. I don't know. We don't know. But anyway, you know, I, I heard what the coach said today when he was on um, with, with JT, you know, and he was talking about uh, assembling the coaches and that he was still going to get back and, and talk to the previous staff. And, and, you know, and I don't know, and this is my question to you, we don't know what um, his staff is looking like outside of him and the GM. So, I mean, we've seen that Rich had a couple – we've seen that Rich had a couple um, shots elsewhere and nothing's really happened yet. And, I mean – and I'm just hoping that, you know, a lot of the guys love Rich, man. And Rich might not have been an X's and O's guy, but that's not what every coach is about. Rich was dominant at his position running special teams, man. And, and, and there's, no, there's no denying that. So I'm just kind of hoping if Josh is, 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 is out there searching and he does talk with Rich, I mean, with the connection with some of the players, I mean, and we all know that I don't ever think that it would be a conflict of interest. These are grown players. I mean, Rich was a certain position, a certain job. And, and I just hope that maybe he reaches out and Rich might get a shot to come back as our special teams coach because he's one of the best in the league. He did something no other way. Just to let him walk and bring somebody else in, I just think that might be a little bit – I just think it might be a little bit too harsh on, on – on, on, or I don't want to say disrespectful, but – the man served the purpose, and if, the, and if Josh doesn't have no one already, I really hope uh, Rich will get a shot at that, man. So thanks for taking my call. You got it, brother. What do you think about that? Uh, yeah, you know, here's the thing. I, I'm not so sure that Rich Basaccia wants that. Like, if you're if you're Rich Basaccia, um, you know, you, you got a taste of being the guy um, in, in, in the building in Henderson. Um, it's going to be difficult, I would think. It possibly, you know, it, for him to come back in a lesser role with this team. Now, he may go accept a special teams job, you know, with the Chicago Bears. There's been rumors about that or somewhere else, you know, because it's just a different place. It's just less awkward, you know. So um, I don't necessarily think it's on the Raiders. It could be, but it also might be on Rich Versace. And who would blame him for saying, you know what, uh, loved it there, uh, loved those players. But a little bit awkward for me, and I don't want to create any awkwardness for the next guy. Now, I was in Los Angeles. I've told the story before where uh, John Fossil, um, the special teams coach, great special teams close coach. He's in uh, with Dallas Cowboys now. But he was the Rams' longtime special teams coach. He was actually a, a special teams clo- coach here with the Raiders as well. So, you know, it's obviously going bad with Jeff Fisher back in the day in, tw- in 2016. They fire Jeff Fisher. They elevate John Fossil to head coach, interim head coach. All right. And he coaches down the stretch. Uh, 2017, January 2017, they begin a coaching search. And much like the Raiders going to get Josh McDaniels, the Rams go get Sean McVay, young assistant from uh, the Washington football team. Sean McVay comes in. And one of the first things he did was convince um, Fossil to stay. You know, and and it all worked out. It could 
I'm not saying that it couldn't work out with Basaccio to come back and be the special teams coach, but you have to look at it from both perspectives. He might not want to, and it's not nothing against anybody or a dislike. It's just, eh, you know, and by the way, like the Rams, Fossil, they didn't go through what the Raiders and Basaccio went through uh, either. So it was a completely different situation. But um, I think it's more. It would it would be a lot on on Rich Basaccia as well, and what he wants to do with his future, and maybe minimize the awkwardness for him, the players, uh, and the new coaching staff. So we'll see how that all plays out. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur Raider Nation Radio, nine twenty a.m. on a Tuesday. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, as the, as the general manager and, and, and as the, the one leading the charge on the, on the scouting side and personnel and college and pro, um, you know, the, that direction will come from me um, in terms of, you know, the construction of the roster. Obviously, we're... Um, Josh and I are, are um, tied in, in, in many ways in, in our vision of how to build a team and in our vision of what we want um, in terms of the players that we bring into the building is very is very connected. Um, but at the end of the day, when it's time to make decisions um, at, on personnel, while we'll work together, you know, those final decisions will be be made by me. That's new Raiders general manager Dave Ziegler talking about the process to um coming up with a decision it's going to be his decision and um but i like i said the great organizations usually when it comes down to the decision making moment the decision has already been made through a collaborative effort somebody makes the call um but generally speaking it's because a whole bunch of people were behind it and then that's the old that's the final step in the process is the actual making of the decision however i will say yeah, in my days working for the Lakers, and um, I'll, I'll give a, a funny story. Jerry West was a general manager, and one of my jobs uh, on draft. Hey, day, what's up with them not giving him tickets anymore? You see that I know, story? I, I hate it. I hate it. We gotta see. How he's. We gotta see how that all plays out. Um, I'm sure. I have a feeling it's gonna motivate the Lakers and Jeannie Buss in in particular to mending some fences. Jerry's a very emotional guy, and I'm gonna. I, I know this because I used to have to drive. This is what I would do on draft night. All right, for three, four years or so, um, on draft night in the NBA. Remember, it's at night, right? So uh, it's usually just a one and done. One day the draft is done. Okay, and so and in the NBA, it's really just about the first round. The second round, yeah, you might get some players, Gilbert Arenas, those type of players, but really it's all about the first round. So what Jerry West would do is after the first round was complete, he would need a ride over to LAX. We worked at the Forum in those days. It wasn't the Staples Center. It was the Forum, which is right across the street, actually, from where SoFi Stadium is. So you're down the street, basically, from the airport, right down Century Boulevard. I used to take Arbavita. It was a much easier route to the airport. But my job, right after the first round finished and right after Jerry West spoke to the media, was to get him over to the airport because he always hopped on a flight to fly to Hawaii to be part of Magic Johnson's um, fantasy basketball camp that Magic would hold in Hawaii every year, okay? So (laughs) I would, on these rides to the airport with Jerry West, get to hear his whole um, kind of just how how the draft went down for the Lakers, okay? So, and a lot of it wasn't always pretty. And in this particular case, it was the year, Laker fans will remember this, they drafted Vlade Divas. I want to say it was 1989, okay? 
And so Vlade Divac, this was before the internet, before all this, you know, where, where the world is just so much smaller nowadays. Vlade Divac was this big man from Yugoslavia that nobody in America saw. There was some grainy footage of him playing against the Boston Celtics in some tournament that the Celtics went to go play in Europe during a during their training camp one year. And Vlade, like he's like putting the, the, the ball between his legs, throwing behind the back passes. He's just like this highly skilled big man. All right. But that's really all anyone had on him, except for some scouts that went went overseas to go watch him. Okay, so it comes down to the Lakers' first round pick. It's in the twenties. They're always good, so they're in the late twenties. Um, and everybody in the room, this is this is Jerry West telling me the whole damn room <laughs> wanted. There was the center from I want to say it was the University of Missouri. And Demon, if you could check out the name Gary Leonard. University of Missouri. Tell me if I'm right about that. But anyway, this this center from the University of Missouri, who everybody in the room wanted to uh, to draft, and and Jerry was like just going off on these guys. You know, sometimes you got to take a chance in this job. Sometimes you got to have. I won't use the colorful language he used, but I think you know where I'm headed. You have to have guts. You have to have this. You have to have that. Vlade Divac is going to have a long career. This guy is going to be, you know, and and so he he went against the advice of all Devon. Oh, I've got the stats for Gary Leonard when you want them. <laughs> Go for it. University of Missouri, right? Yes, University what year? of Missouri. 1989-90. Right. Okay. So that 1989 draft. Yes. Second round, seventh mm-hmm. in the second round, thirty fourth overall. His rookie year, a whopping one point, he, he, one rebound. Yeah. Finished the career, three seasons, all in, nope, nope, one in Minnesota, two in Atlanta. Right. Played 31 games total, 1.4 points, 1.1 rebounds. Now go look at Vlade Divas. Okay, so so uh, Jerry's just going, you know, everybody wants to do the safe thing. Everybody wants to, you know, don't take the chance. And he's like, those guys, you know, so he, he literally took the bull by the horns against all the advice. Go ahead. On and Vlade Divac in his NBA career. He's also a Hall of Famer, by the way. Divac. Divac. <laughs> you, you, know, no, you know what? No. Common gonna, mistake. I'm going to say it the same way I've said it for over 20 years. No, no, no. Years, no it's Divac. <laughs> he will tell you that. Go ahead. Vlade. Yes. 12 points, 8 rebounds, 3 assists. Career. In his career, yes. Yeah. But he was, he was, uh, and I remember Jerry telling me. I mean, he started in two different decades in the, well, not yeah. the finals, but, you know, on two different uh, right. finals. And then was teams. a part of the Sacramento Kings. That's that what I meant, like the, the, yeah, the Lakers was, in the ooh, early 90s. There were some good teams. And then the Sacramento Kings in the early 2000s. One of the great all-time people in the world. And I remember Jerry vividly, uh, still can hear him yelling, and he was yelling. He's like, he's like, this dude is seven foot, and he could dribble better than Byron Scott right now. And he goes, now, granted, Coach is going to have to coach that out of him. There ain't going to be no behind-the-back passes, you know, with the Lakers or going between the legs. But he had the skills to do that, and Jerry West saw it and made a great draft pick at the end of the draft against the wishes of his all of his scouts, his assistant general manager at the time, Mitch Kupchak. Um, so, yeah, you're going to have times where somebody in that room is going to have to take the bull by the horns and make that final decision. But generally speaking, it's a consensus that leads to – um, you know, the decision. Uh, do we got Alan in Las Vegas? Alan in Las Vegas is on uh, uh, the Raider Nation listener line. How you doing, buddy? Doing great, Benny. How are you? Doing good, man. Yes, sir. I want to uh, ask you for your opinion on this um, this idea. So, Josh McDaniels, he could have stayed in New England and possibly taken over the team after Belichick had retired and along with 
uh, Dave Ziegler, and they could have built on the foundation that is Mac Jones and et cetera. I'm not so familiar with the team anymore. So that being said, do you believe that Josh sees a better future with Derek Carr and the Raider roster as it stands right now, as opposed to, say, Mac Jones and um, I, I know they have a bunch of young guys and a bunch of picks coming up because they could have stayed or they could have gone to 30 other teams, but yeah. they wanted to come here. Right. Um, well, you know, I don't know, and uh, I don't know if we'll ever know if there was any sort of promise that was made to him. Uh, the, the, the New England Patriots, I think, have actually kind of said, no, 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 we never made that, you know, assurances. I think this was uh, after the whole thing went, went down with the Indianapolis Colts. Um, so it might have been like implied that he would get the job. Uh, but the thing is, Bill Belichick, he doesn't show any signs of slowing down. Um, so if you're if you're Josh McDaniels and, and you're waiting for that specifically, you might be in for a long wait. And I think that he was content on doing that, provided a, an opportunity that um, didn't entice him, didn't come along, uh, if that makes any sense. So I think he was going to wait. He's going to wait for the right situation for him, for his family, for his vision, things that line up between the organization and himself, having somebody like a Dave Ziegler come with him. All of those things were going to have to uh, be in place, or most of those things were going to have to be in place for him to say, you know what, I love where I'm at. I'm making good money. I've got a good job. I'm working in a, for a, a historic um, organization. There's a chance that I might end up being the heir apparent. Uh, I can bide my time until the right situation comes along. And I think that, you know, there could have been other situations besides the Raiders that eventually came along. But this is the one at this particular moment in time that intrigued him more than any of the other possibilities. And I have to say this, you know, I, I know on Twitter, and we've talked about this, uh, people have been hitting me up saying, well, if he was so coveted, why didn't other teams uh, show interest in him. You have to understand how things work sometimes in life. Just because you didn't read it in the Las Vegas Review Journal or on ESPN or hear it on NFL Network or Ian Rappaport or uh, Adam Scheffler, uh, Schefter come out and say, "Hey, you know the the Indian or the let's say the, the the Minnesota Vikings have reached out to the New England Patriots to ask permission to talk to." Uh, Josh McDaniels, just because you didn't hear those words and that report doesn't mean that somebody from, let's just say the Minnesota Vikings, I'm, not, I'm, I'm just throwing out a name here, didn't have somebody in their organization reach out to his agent to say, hey, look, before we even take it to that step, is there interest here? Uh, we don't want to, you know, make it public that we're, uh, you know, trying to trying to interview him if he's not going to even accept the interview. So, Stuff like that happens well before it gets to that point. Think of it this way. When was the last time you ever heard somebody say, no, I don't want to take the interview? It never happens because all of that is established well before it even gets to that point. To the point, Mark Davis talking yesterday um, about his talk with Dave Ziegler, and he asked Josh, or he asked Dave Ziegler, hey, who would you be interested in? Uh, as as the head coach, if you were the general manager of the Raiders, and he immediately brought up Josh McDaniels and Dave and and Mark Davis, because at that point they hadn't reached out uh, officially or unofficially to gauge his interest, and and Mark Davis was like, 
I don't even know if he's available. And Dave Ziegler looked at him and said, if you hire me, he will. Um, so that's kind of how that came together, to give you an example. Then that was, if you remember, it wasn't too long after they interviewed Dave Ziegler that all of a sudden they're officially asking for permission to talk to Josh McDaniels as the head coach. As soon as that happened, I knew that this was pretty much a done deal. Something was going to have to happen. Some, somebody was going to have to drop some monumental ball, monumental ball along the way for it not to come to, to, to fruition because the Raiders weren't going to ask for permission and he wasn't going to accept um, unless there was something that was done behind the scenes that said, hey, we were, we're really interested in you being our head coach and him saying, I'm, I'm really interested in being your head coach. Now, obviously, it had to all come together uh, when they all sat down and talked and shared their vision, but um, that's how that sometimes works. So to say that Josh McDaniels, that other teams didn't show him interest, I know that other teams showed him interest. It just not got, never got to the point where they officially asked for permission because – Prior to even it getting to that level, they were told he's not interested. Back out to the Raider Nation listener line. Ralph is in L.A. How you doing, Ralph? Hello. Hey, Ralph. Hi. Yeah, I was calling trying to get a question more with the personnel issue now. I mean, with the coaching changeover again. Because it seemed like, you know, I know more than likely the potential of DB, I mean, defensive coordinator um, candidates that they listen more of like the New England style people that's more – the press man and type of coverage schemes are, like you say, Martindale from Baltimore, like the Blitzen. And it seemed like we went to the corners again for the cover three that's more zone-based, guys. That's not good at press man. So it's like we actually seem like we're going to create more holes again. So I don't know how they're going to fill that void, you know. You're saying um, if they change the um, the scheme, is that what you're saying? Yeah, with the defensive coordinator, like change. Right. Uh, you so listen. And it's like – Right, go ahead. Like, they're more man-based. Like, if they're going with the Patriots type of guys. Mm-hmm. And we kind of just scrapped with those, you know, uh, man type of DBs to went to zone guys. And now we kind of, like, don't have the personnel to match up for a press man type corners. Yeah, I, and I'm sure, you know, whatever defensive coordinator comes in, um, I know that they're going to have a preference and they're going to have a, a style of play. Um but I think it'll all it, it'll all kind of come out in the wash, and there's there's ways to maximize guys' strength um, in ways that sometimes maybe goes against exactly what you're wanting to do for a time being until you get the right personnel. And there's ways to coach around it uh, and to utilize your personnel uh, in a way that fits kind of what you're trying to do. It might not happen overnight. I tell a story all the time. Marcus Peters with the Rams. Wade Phillips is a man-to-man, three-four defense dude, right? And he needs cornerbacks that play on an island and press up man-to-man. They had Aqib Tlaib on one side and Marcus Peters on the other side. First eight games with Marcus Peters playing man-to-man, he got just torched. He was one of the worst cornerbacks in the NFL. But it's because that's not what he does. He's not good at that. He's very good as a zone cornerback. All right, about eight games into the season, it was almost right after Marcus got beat on a long touchdown pass uh, against the New Orleans Saints, who ironically enough, the Rams later beat that season in New Orleans. He got killed on that play, all right, and it, it, the Rams lost as a result. And Wade Phillips finally said, you know what, I'm, I'm doing this guy a disservice. <laughs> I'm asking him to do something that he's not good at. So Wade Phillips, to his credit, um, fixed things and altered things 
to, to suit what Marcus Peters did well. And Marcus Peters, over the second half of that season, especially down the stretch, was Marcus Peters and played exceptionally well. And it was all because Wade Phillips made that switch and understood, I got to do something different. It can't just be about what I do. It has to be what the players are able to do now, a year later um, or so, right? Was it 19? Was it 20? Yeah, I guess 2019. They ended up trading for Jalen Ramsey and traded Marcus Peters away. And it wasn't anything against Marcus Peters. It was because Jalen Ramsey played exactly what Wade Phillips wanted to do. And he was able to go do it. So you might have to bide your time a little bit, uh, making the transition to whatever new scheme is implemented by the new defensive coordinator. But as time goes on, you start more and more and more acquiring the talent that fits your scheme. But in the meantime, you might have to coach it up a little bit and do some things differently like Wade did in Los Angeles to fit the you know talent of your players and the skill set of your players and what they do well. What is coaching? Lincoln always tells us it's putting your players in the best possible position to succeed. Wade wasn't doing that the first eight games of that season. He did it the last eight games of that season, including the playoffs, including the Super Bowl. You're in the you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila in Bahadur, Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM on a Tuesday. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Now, back to your host, Bonsignor. Yeah, I've... In my own phone, I've got like about five Brian's. Right? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it, it's it's possible that he was just like, "Oh, my bad, man." Well, it, that is very possible. I love the if, I, if the texts are true. He was like, "Dang, my bad." <laughs> you, you know, he felt horrible because he even said it. Oh man, I effed that all up. You know, and the, 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 not to make light of any of this, but Flores is like, "Thanks, Coach." <laughs> it was just, you know, and and by no means did did. Belichick do anything wrong here. He was just congratulating the other Brian for apparently being the front runner for the job. And I love this one. <laughs> Giants? Question mark, question mark. Like, like <laughs> Coach, I'm interviewing for them tomorrow. Oh, <laughs> at what point? We have to look at the uh, the timeline. Was it like seconds after? He's like, Oh, I don't think or, I don't think the receipts had like the time next to him, and they were both on the same staff on that Super Bowl winning team in 2016. Right, Flores and Dable. Yeah, so that's not, yeah. Nobody's talking about Dable being the uh, being under the you know the the coaching tree of Belichick, by the way, as Josh McDaniels is. I mean, we'll 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 see if uh, you know what I'm saying. Like, he, all of a sudden, that guy can redeem the whole coaching tree argument. If he you does know what well. I think it would be though, because he's had other stops. Yeah, even though he started in New England and then came back to New England, like right. McDaniel's, I think it'd be like ah, nah, the Buffalo. What he did in Buffalo it would make it like ah, he's not, a, but he's clearly a Belichick guy. Right. It's like um, you know, somebody on Twitter was talking about how oh, Zach Taylor is part of the Sean McVay coaching tree, and while technically he kind of is, but even I, knowing Sean, I don't think he's going to sit here and claim him as his great find because the the truth of the matter is. Zach Taylor in 2017, Sean's first year, I remember saying to Sean, man, this guy's highly qualified to be an assistant wide receiver coach. He had been an offensive coordinator at the University of Cincinnati. He had been an interim, I think, offensive coordinator, maybe for for one season with the Miami Dolphins, yep. right? He, he was Dan Cam- when Dan Campbell was promoted to right. interim head coach. Yeah, so it's not like this is, 
you, I, some of those coaching trees are a little bit Yes. And it, <laughs> you can say he went to Buffalo because he's like, man, seems like McDaniels is never going to leave here, so I can't be the OC here. <laughs> right. So then he's like, well, I guess I got to go to Buffalo. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, we got to be a little bit – because, I listen, I only bring up Nick Saban because everyone says that it's always been crash and burns with uh, Bill Belichick's coaching tree. But if you're old enough to remember, he literally was the defensive coordinator for some really good Cleveland Browns teams – under Brian, or, uh, Bill Belichick. So you have to, if you're going to say that Zach Taylor is on the Sean McVay coaching tree or Dable is on the Bill Belichick coaching tree, you have to also say, um, you know, uh, uh, Nick Saban is on the coaching tree. As I think a lot of that stuff is just overdone anyway, because a lot of these guys are just bouncing around. No, but who did they learn from? Who, yeah, I mean, I mean, everybody. Come on, who gave these guys their start? I know people don't want to admit it, but you could go <laughs> ipso facto. Of course, this is the John Gruden Super. This is the John Gruden Super Bowl, right? He, if Sean McVay's under his tree, Zach Taylor's under Sean McVay's tree, right? Gruden gave him the start. Yeah, like you know, you start talking <laughs> about the and but, who gave Gruden the start? Mike Holmgren. The Mike Holmgren tree. Mike, Hol- yes. And then, I mean, I feel like this, the, we wave, go all the, way the back. wave of whose tree this is. It goes back to Moses. Yeah, you could just be. <laughs> and Adam yeah. and Eve's the tree. Uh, yeah, um, there are some legitimate trees, like I think the um, Bill Walsh. No one would the be Bill here without Bill Walsh. The Bill Walsh tree. But even he goes back to the Paul Brown tree. It's really Paul Brown tree. And he's the godfather of football. Yeah. <laughs> right, he pretty much invented it. What about the Vince Lombardi? Can we get some Italians up here? The Vince Lombardi tree? I don't know if the Vince Lombardi tree is all that good, but his grandson is the offensive coordinator of the uh, L.A. Chargers. Imagine being Vince Lombardi's grandson. I mean, that's just, and he looks just like him, too. So, uh, I, I, you know, I got to root for the Italians. Uh, there's, there's, there's no question about that. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation l- listener line. Uh, and speaking about Italian, Eddie in L.A. How you doing, Eddie? Hey, how we doing, Vinny? Good, man. How are you doing, my brother? Good, good, good. It just, uh, you know, overall, with uh, yesterday's press conference, I was ex- uh, extremely impressed. I think McDaniels came out as really honest and forthcoming, especially when he talked about how his, not his misfortunes, but where he failed in Denver. I think that was, <coughs> uh, that was very huge, excuse me, for him to actually recognize that and say that out loud, I mean, that, that, that tells you a lot about a person. And it's, uh, also, I really like the dynamic. That it, everything is pretty much set. There's no if, ends, or buts. Everybody knows who's at the top and how that pecking order is going to work. I think that was the, the, the biggest mystery and the biggest back and forth and blaming uh, Mayock and Gruden and, and so on and so forth. So for them to clear that out from the gate, I think that was very class and professional to start out that way. Um, one of the things that uh, I'm very cautiously optimistic about McDaniels, because obviously, you know, his Denver run, and there was a lot of issues on why it didn't work, but it didn't work. So we got to figure, uh, uh, we got to make sure this this time around it does work for our Raiders. But I, what I'm excited about that he brings from New English in New England, I'm sorry, is he had is that they stop picking players and and put them in. You know, putting a, a, a square peg in a round hole. They actually, he, he, I'm looking forward for him to change his offensive system to change the current players that are on this staff and who he's going to uh, be drafting, as well as on defense. I think um, there was some question in regards to, you know, if, if they don't keep Gus Bradley. I, I, you know, 
I don't think his intention right away is not to keep him. I think he's going to try. But if he, just because he doesn't able to keep him, just like the Sacha, it doesn't mean that, you know, uh, um, all of a sudden he's going to get rid of all these guys. I think it, it, it's exciting where in the, 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 uh, in the direction we're going. And we finally have some unison. And, and, and we're going to be able to really rely on these guys to do their homework. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the players that they break before, they always used to say, overpaying high character guys but they it always seems like they kept playing what they picked the player and then they put him in a position where he wasn't really the greatest at and he didn't really thrive at, at, at all the time so i'm, I'm ex- that's one of the things i'm really excited about and earlier you were talking about the, the rooney rule uh, i agree with you that, that you need it i i dislike that we have to have it but it's like the mandate you have to force people to do things because billionaires it, it, it's already been shown in past history you can't leave it up to companies or organizations to do it. You have to make them do it because if you leave it from their own, they ain't going to do it. Uh, other than that, I really appreciate what you what you're doing. The questions you ask, this is why exactly we tune in because you you know you, you hit the, you, you always ask good questions, man. You you're you're always honest, and we go from Rooney Rule to the Lakers back to the Raiders is all over the place. So if you guys <laughs> are talking about coaching trees, how about Al Davis and and uh, you know uh, um, Tom Flores and uh, you know. John Manu may rest in peace. Raiders, baby, all day. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, um, uh, you know, I I, I appreciate it, Um, Eddie, uh, in L.A., always bringing the heat. Uh, Yeah, you know, I I don't like that we have to have this rule, um, but we have to have some sort of a rule. I mean, that's just the facts of the matter. And it's not to get people to do something wrong or something that they shouldn't be doing. It's to get them to do the right thing. That's why I'm like, well, why do you have to have a rule to have them? Because it's the right thing to do. Injustices, uh, injustice has been, um, you know, the, at the heart of the matter for far too long. When you think about, you know, going from slavery to voting rights, it was barely a hundred years uh, that that those two things happened, and it's been barely fifty years since the Voting Rights Act was put into place. The Civil Rights Act was put into place. We're still kind of in the infancy here it's not going to all work all you know overnight and unfortunately there's a lot of resistance to it which sucks by the way um and so because of that part of it you have to have rules and regulations and legislation to balance things out and if you want to call either it's hatred that you're uh, balancing out or biases that you're uh, you know uh, balancing out uh, or just sometimes things that people are completely overlooking, oblivious to. Oh, I didn't even know that that was a, an issue. Yeah, it's an issue. And because of that issue, um, because you're oblivious to, that guy just doesn't want to do it. And that person uh, has has all these biases. We have to step in and do the right thing to make sure you do the right thing. It's It sucks that it has to be this way. But guess what? It has to be this way. You're in the huddle of Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bajador Radio Nation Radio, 920 a.m. on a Tuesday.